The following program and views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Our telephone number is 919 860 9783, Dr. Franklin Weefold is here. We're going to talk about Newsweek saying a glass of wine could lead to Alzheimer's. A glass of wine a day. So that's a hooey. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just getting to the point where I'm really sick of this stuff because it's clickbait. Yeah. And we talked about it before. You see an article like that and you've had a glass of wine and then you're going to go, oh my gosh. Right. Am I going to forget I had the glass of wine tomorrow? I'm going to get Alzheimer. <laughs> and so you click on it. Right. Uh, what do you see? An advertisement for this and an advertisement for that. And there's one little story that says, this scientist from Guadalajara University, who <laughs> is a junior member of the adjunct faculty, <laughs> believes that. Yeah. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's just this is what's wrong now. With the way that we disseminate information right. on the internet, and especially Facebook, I'm going to say I'm going to guarantee you yeah. that this is the kind of stuff you see on Facebook, right. and um, it it I think is also contributing to the terrible um, relationships that people are having nowadays: mm-hmm. politics, science, um, entertainment. I mean, you know, just look at everything that's going on, and it's clickbait. And so how do you get somebody to click on it? Yeah. You say the most outrageous and crazy things right? so that people will click on it. And chances are the study didn't exactly determine that? It didn't. Yeah. I mean, it it just drives me crazy. I mean, are you going to click on something where it says doctors save another life? Patient is and family is happy. No, rarely. You know, no, 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 I'm not going to click on that. Of course, doctors. Say, well, wait a minute. Maybe they will because doctors now kill people right and left, according to the clickbait stories. Yeah. So maybe you would if okay. you saw something that didn't um, put doctors and hospitals in bad light. They said that Alzheimer's and Parkinson's were increased by yeah. and a so, daily so glass of wine. Here's here's the article, and what happened was. The guy um, looked at a hormone that yeah. is uh, suppressed very slightly yeah. by having a glass of wine and then said, uh, well, this hormone helps us not to get iron accumulation, although yeah. it's only one of a thousand things. Right. So let's see now. If we suppress that hormone even a little bit, we're going to get iron in our brain. We're going to get Alzheimer's. I mean, there's no clinical Mm -hmm. um, correlation with this whatsoever. It's a complete and total wacko hypothesis. Okay. So that's pop culture uh, bad science. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm -hmm. There's also non-pop culture bad science. Right. This Alzheimer's study. Yeah. 
Uh, scientists have been relying on a 2006 Alzheimer's study right. for years and years. Right. And, and it, it was faked. And so um, this is the problem that we have today yeah. is the concept of what science is. And that science has to be – oh, and by the way, yeah. this article yeah. that came out in, in a few years ago was in one of the greatest journals in the country yeah. called Science, believe it or not. Peer-reviewed. Now, I've published – yeah, and pe- what does peer review mean? It means that the study was put together, mm-hmm. then the paper was written, then it was sent out by the editors of Science – to experts in that field, yes, who maybe five or six, who would review it, and then give you know like in ancient Rome with the gladiators the thumbs up sure. or the thumbs down, yeah. And if it gets five thumbs up, it gets published. And and the problem was the data was faked. Um, the the study um, claimed to show uh, certain things um, that actually generated about one point six billion dollars. In funding for other studies yeah. Yeah. based on this. It has to do with proteins, and I'm not going to go into the details, but it has to do with the, the fundamental hypothesis of Alzheimer's, yeah. which is that amyloid proteins, these, these folding things that muck up the brain. And so then they developed all these drugs to try to treat that situation, and well, guess what? They didn't work. And so they went back and said, well, no wonder they didn't work. All the data was fake. And wow. so here's what I want to talk about and, and use this as a launching pad sure, for what science is, okay? And, and, you know, all these people use the bludgeon of this is science right. to try to say that what I am proposing is incontrovertibly true and you can't challenge it. Mm-hmm. And who is the number one guy that's been doing this lately is Fauci. Right. So all the things that they challenge Fauci on, and he tries to dodge, um, he says, well, listen, I'm science. Yeah. How can you possibly challenge me? I'm science, and you're politics, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and he sticks his tongue out at him. Yeah. Science is not this completely and totally um, uh, project, complete and total project that is divorced from emotion. Right. Uh, science is a human endeavor. And science is a hypothesis, and then you do studies to support or show your hypothesis is wrong, and then you get a result. Right. And the result says, yes, it supports the hypothesis, or it doesn't. And then ultimately, what is science? Science is a way for us to do something that we've been afraid of for a long time, and that's sure. predict the future. Yeah. If I put uranium and plutonium together mm-hmm. and squeeze it hard enough, mm. it's going to cause a big, big bang, oh, explosion. Really? Oh. And so. I was thinking smoothie. Yeah. So that worked. Yeah. Okay. We dropped it. It blew up a bunch of things. Yeah. And so think about it. That's the prediction of the future, that when we... Put these things together, yeah. this is going to happen. So the concept of science is we think that coronavirus is caused by the corona 
um, infection, COVID-19 infection is caused by this virus. So we hypothesize that we're going we're gonna to create these monoclonal antibodies right. against this virus. Right. Then we're going to give them to people. Yes. And the prediction of the future is they're not going to get sick. Right. Right. And that turned out to work. Right. So I am science. The monoclonal antibodies work. But, but until yeah. they don't. And then we got to get another hypothesis. Well, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't know that they were going to mutate. Right. And they're going to mutate into a form that won't be susceptible to the monoclonal antibody anymore. Right. So kind of forget what I said. Okay. And, and, you know, what did Biden say last year? He said, get the vaccine. Yes, he did. And COVID is over. You won't get it anymore. Right, right. But do they say... Oh, I'm sorry I was wrong about that. No, not rarely. Yeah, no, no, you know, and now really. you got to get not one, yes. but two boosters. Right. And now what do they find out? That if you've had the third booster, you're better off than if you had the fourth booster because getting the fourth booster made your immune system too strong against alpha, and right. it makes it easier for uh, Omicron BA.5. You know, I've lost track of these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you need to know about science is that science is good. Right. Science is a way that we can develop technology and things that save lives. But science is a human endeavor Mm -hmm. that is rife with corruption, with false hypotheses and false data. Right. And things that we think are true because we've done the science correctly. Yeah that turn out to be not true in the future. Okay. I mean, all these papers that have been published, then they're retracted, which means that, whoops, not true. Yeah. Or in subsequent studies were proven to be false mm-hmm. because they didn't do the study right or more information came out and we did the studies again with a little tweak. Right. Turned out that with that little tweak, the first study was wrong. Right. So when you see somebody in front of a congressional committee mm-hmm. dodging questions and then saying, how can you challenge me? I'm science. Mm-hmm. You know that you can't trust that human being. All right. That fellow who said that got COVID even though he was quadru- quadruple, quadruple And then not only that, yeah, he took the Paxlovid, yes, which did. was the new drug that was repurposed right, to right. prevent COVID from attacking him in another way. Yeah. And he took it for his scientifically documented needed five days. Yes. And what happened after five days? He got, he got, he bounced back. He bounced back. Yeah. And did they tell us we were going to bounce back? No, they said, you take the four boosters and even if you get it, take Paxlovid. Now, of course, if you're on multiple medications, you can't take Paxlovid, which they really didn't tell us at first. Uh, And I had somebody on steroids for their COVID, which yeah. is an yeah, yeah. indicated medrol, indicated thing. Oh, you can't have Paxlovid because you're on steroids. Okay, Mr. Pharmacist, you do not understand. Paxlovid is going to be for five days. It's not going to affect the level of the steroid for five days. Okay. And no, they wouldn't give it. So I had to go to a different pharmacy. And it, it's just, it drives me absolutely insane. Right. When they say the science said that you can't take steroids with Paxlovid. No. The science said that there might be an interaction with the enzymes in your liver that metabolize these things. 
There's never been a study that's shown if you give Paxlovid to somebody on steroids, they have a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. It's all these hypotheses that they believe to be true right. that turn out not to be true. And what does that yeah. do? It makes everybody think, Who sh- I'm not going to believe anybody anymore. Right. And maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't. We might really need some humble doctors. Yeah. In well, the upper what should Fauci have said? We think that it's highly probable that the vaccine is going to really help us get out of COVID. Sure. But we're not sure. So what we think you ought to do is take the vaccine because the risks of the not taking the vaccine outweigh the potential benefit. But if you decide not to take the vaccine, we understand because we don't have all the answers yet. Right. You know, what kills me about all this is that the public gets not only a, a bad feeling about this, but when science is wrong, so many times, and we are claiming mm-hmm. that science can't be wrong, they're not going to believe in science at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that science is one of the greatest inventions, and it's an invention mm-hmm. of human activity, but it's not uh, completely infallible. And when we start saying it's infallible and we see right. the infallibility of it, then we're not going to believe in it at all. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, they told us we we're going to run out of food by the year 2000, and 5 billion people would be starving. Yeah, not happening. Uh, nope. They right. said that the Arctic would be melted by the year 2000. Yes, they did. Nope. Yep. Yep. And so when you claim that you're a scientist and you make these pronouncements mm-hmm. and you're wrong, people say, what is this science business? Is it, is it something we can even believe in yeah and that's the problem when you over promise and under deliver right all right anyway there's my soapbox thank you um statement for today science is good but it's not infallible okay we're going to talk about the fact the president has covid uh the fbi questioned the national institute of health about the wuhan lab very early on Well, the FBI was aware that, oh, yeah, maybe we should talk to these guys about that. And there's a depression treatment, a promising new depression treatment that is 80% effective. Diet Coke is basically brain food. Well, you know, remember remember coffee was good, coffee was bad. Now Diet Coke is good. (laughs) Okay. Good God. All right. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. And I was talking about an article about depression. There's another one in the stack here that says depression is not a chemical imbalance. Okay. So what are they trying to say? They're trying to say that all the medicines that we have for depression are bogus and that we shouldn't use them. Mm. And if you talk about science, what are these medicines based on? I'm talking about... SSRIs. Those are the serotonin uptake inhibitors. What does that mean? It means that it raises the amount of serotonin in your brain. Yeah. Okay. Now what they're trying to say, uh, and these are particular quote unquote scientists that are saying, oh, no, it has nothing to do with it. All we need to do is have um, uh, psychotherapy. Uh, It's nothing to do with anything in the brain. 
And we know that that's just not true. It does have some, it's a brain illness. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not completely about serotonin, okay, I'll take that. It could be about epinephrine too, because there are medicines that use epinephrine and serotonin to to raise those levels and, and help people. How do we know that SSRIs work? I mean, do we just pretend that they work? No. No, they've done really extensive studies. Now, I take a medicine called Trentelix, and I can't remember the generic name because it's a tongue twister. Yeah. And I looked at it, and they did a study with thousands of patients who okay. were depressed. Yeah. And they gave half of them a placebo. And then they gave half of them the Trentelix. Yes. And then they looked down the line who was feeling better and who wasn't. So the patients who said they were feeling better, they didn't know if they were on a placebo or if they were on the Trentelix. Sure. And like six times as many people who were taking the Trentelix felt better than the people who were taking the placebo. Now, some percentage of the placebo patients did feel better. So there is a placebo effect of taking an SSRI, but it works. Now, does it perfect? No. Does everybody feel better? No. So maybe what we ought to do is study the people who felt better and find out why that medicine worked for them and it didn't work for other people. Yes. But clearly when you say it's not a chemical imbalance, okay, yeah, maybe it's not imbalance, but there's definitely a chemistry involved in depression. Right. So what are we what are we looking at other medications? Ketamine. Okay. It's okay. a fantastic thing. Yeah. People are going in with refractory depression and they're getting intravenous ketamine. Mm-hmm. Not all, but greater than placebo, a tremendous number of people are getting better and quicker. What about and uh uh shock therapy to the brain? Oh yeah. Okay. It works. Okay. Now we don't know necessarily how it works, but it works. And they, you know how they found out about that? Mm. Di- uh, epileptics who had um, seizures and who were also depressed right. after they had their seizure, they weren't as depressed. Okay. So they started talking about electroshock therapy, ECT to the brain. Mm-hmm. What does that do? It induces a seizure. Okay. Mm. And it used to be barbaric. Because yeah. they would just put, you know, they'd put a, 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 a popsicle stick wrapped in, in a cloth in your mouth oh my. and then shock you and hold you down and you'd break your bones because you were, you know, so uh, right. uh, seizure-like. Right. Well, now they do it with general anesthesia and mm-hmm. a paralytic agent mm-hmm. and they induce a seizure that does not lead to see, uh, uh, physical activity in the arms and legs because you're paralyzed. And it works. It mm-hmm. doesn't work for everybody. Now, what else are they looking at? People who had MRIs. Right. Now, you know, they were looking for something in their brain. They also had depression. Right. They go back to the doctor and say, hey, guess what? Yeah. I'm not depressed anymore. And so now they're looking at the magnetic effects of the brain. Ah. Now, what does this mean? It is a chemical problem in the brain. And if you don't want to use the term chemical imbalance, yeah. I mean, that implies you have one chemical that's not in balance with another chemical. Yeah. And, and you could say that's, that's, not, that's not true. Well, okay, fine. But to take away the concept that depression has to do with chemicals in your brain, it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to think that they should stop their Prozac. 
that'll be in the popular press right. in a week. Depression is not caused by chemicals in the brain. That is just false. Okay. And the bottom line is there are many, obviously, many different pathways for depression. Some people are going to respond to the serotonin drugs. Some people aren't. Some mm-hmm. people are going to respond to the epinephrine drug. Some people aren't. I personally happen mm-hmm. to respond to the Trintelix drug. Mm-hmm. I also responded to another one, uh, Lexapro, but I got uh, side effects, which yeah. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, no, no, are. no. That would... But, you know, let me say, okay, yeah. Dave, when we were talking about this before the mic was turned on. Right. Do you really want to tell people that you're on an antidepressant? And the answer is. Yeah. Yes. Because I want to demystify the quote-unquote term, quote-unquote mental illness. Right. Because when, you know, you talk about somebody is mentally ill, Mm -hmm. that has such a negative connotation in this country. It means that, you know, you should be scared of them. You never know what they're going to do next. Right. Right. You know, they might attack you. Uh, They might, um, you know, uh, uh, cause you to be harmed. Because this concept of mental illness is people in a straitjacket, in the corner, blabbering, you know, salivating, uh, and uh, uncontrollable. And that's just not true. Half the people in the United States of America have a mental illness one form or another. Wow. And the other half mm-hmm. are lying about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but the point is we okay. need to demystify this. Yeah. Okay. Now, listeners out there, suppose, well, and this actually happened in 1968. Right. Suppose you found out a presidential candidate was on Prozac. Mm. It was doing great on him. Felt good. Yeah. Would that disqualify him from being president of the United States? There was a candidate for vice president. Um, His name is Thomas Eagleton. And this is in 1968. Mm -hmm. Uh, George McGovern was the candidate for president. He had picked Thomas Eagleton. It turned out when Thomas was 20 years old, he was extremely depressed. He could not get out of his depression, mm-hmm. and he had electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. And guess what? He was never depressed again. They disqualified him from being vice president, right. and it was a national um, catastrophe for the Democrats. They had to pick another guy, Sergeant Shriver. But let me ask you, would you not vote for somebody who was on Prozac? I, I would. Right. In fact, I'd probably want to vote for the guy who was on Prozac more yeah. than the guy who wasn't on Prozac and needed to be on Prozac because the guy on Prozac, if it worked, was going to feel better, right. was going to be less depressed, and was going to go about his business, in my opinion, in a happier fashion. I'd vote for him over the one who wasn't. All right. Coming up, Rose Hoban of North Carolina Health News on Heart Health Radio. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefall? Call 919-860-9783. Rose Hoban is with NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org, and she joins us every week at this time. Hi, Rose. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Good, fellas. How are you? We're good. We were just talking about mental health. And it turns out your big headline this week, Youth Mental Health Crisis, is the next wave of the pandemic, according to a yeah. Duke psychiatrist. What's what a, going what on? What a great article, bringing up something that we all need to know about. Right, exactly. I mean, this, this is a, you know, it was a, uh, there was a CDC 
the the morbidity and mortality weekly report uh, mm-hmm. about a little a couple a little bit ago about in April forty four forty four percent of high school students said they experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Wow! So that's a that's a high number. Right. Um, it's you know, it's I, a crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Now I, I'm hoping that um, I, I think the the, the data are a year old, right? Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was data from the Adolescent Behaviors and Experiences Survey, which was conducted January through June of 21. So I'm hoping what what we don't know is, you know, it has like a return to school and a return to more kind of usual behavior for teens. Has that alleviated some of this, right? Because so much mm-hmm. of their lives are about their peers, right? Right, right. So, um, so that's, you know, that's a really, that's a really important question and, um, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll get a a sense of that. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, these, these, uh, these surveys that they do, like this adolescent behaviors and experiences survey, otherwise known as the ABIS or AIDS, um, they do these every year, every two years. So we get kind of like longitudinal, you know, sort of time lapse data over time. Right. There's also something called the Youth Behavioral Risk Survey that uh, usually comes out in September. We get the results. And so we'll see if we, and the YRBS will have more current data, mm-hmm. but we'll see if this is persisted, right? Yeah. I wonder but, whether there isn't something strong about social media. Oh, this, see, this is it. Teams. This is it. So, I want to. I want to give a high five to Nathan Copeland, and he's the assistant professor at Duke in the Department of Psychiatry. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and he talks about loneliness mm-hmm. from the restrictions of the pandemic that were um, uh, made um, mandatory. Right. And I think uh-huh. he's being very brave because he's going against you know, what the physicians are supposed to have say. And that's, we, oh yeah, the, the pandemic restrictions were necessary. Yeah. And, and he also uh, talks about the stuff on social media that made everybody um, scared of what's going on in the United States. Right. Um, and over blue, uh, some of the things, some of the tragedies that happened, it made it seem like mm-hmm. everybody was at risk for getting murdered. And I think that um, we need to just take a step back. I really, I don't know about you, Rose, but I think social media and is, is really a health problem, especially in this situation from a psychiatric point of view. I'm doing a quick uh, Google search as I talk to you. I can't find it quite yet, but I do remember reading some research about, uh, and again, longitudinal research, so some of this research that tracks kids over, you know, every couple of years surveying kids. And there's definitely in the, in the teens, in the 20 teens, you started to see an increase in feelings of hopelessness and, uh, and depression in teens, um, in the, in the teens, you know, in the 20 teens. And that would correspond with the rise of sort of more use of social media. Yeah. Um, I will say this, and it's really interesting because, you know, um, We've had some turnover on our team, and a lot of my reporters now are uh, 20s, mm. in their 20s, um, you know, because all of the folks who I originally hired who were, you know, jumping off of 
corporate media, like the like McClatchy, the sure. server mm-hmm. stuff. Uh-huh. They've all now retired, retired, like really retired. And so I'm bringing on some younger reporters, and they are much savvier about social media mm-hmm. than prior generations, and like they don't use it nearly as much as um, you know, like maybe people in their 30s and you know, like. So this whole Instagram thing, yeah. well, I'm hearing more and more about people who are opting out of social media, Yay. which I think is really fascinating. And yeah. I think, like, you know, you talk to, like, teens, and they're like, Facebook is, like, so over. Right. Um, they, they, they look at TikTok, and they look at Instagram, um, and, you know, people are like, oh, if you want to reach young people, you know, you have to make TikTok videos. And I'm like... Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, I I look at TikTok and there's very little craziness on TikTok. I mean, it's mostly dogs jumping through hoops and stuff like that. I would much rather have my kids look at TikTok than Facebook and Instagram. You know, okay, I'm going to ask you a question because you and I think alike about mental health and about what the term mental illness means. Suppose Mm -hmm. you found out that a candidate running for president was on Prozac, and the other candidate wasn't. Mm. Would it? Would you decide not to vote for the candidate who was on Prozac just because he was on Prozac? No. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about, and I'm telling you, Rose, I might be inclined more to vote for the guy on Prozac than the guy not on Prozac. Well, you know, he's. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I remember when I was a young nurse. Um, the, my preceptor when I when I started in the emergency room, and I remember my preceptor saying, "You know, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you know what you don't know." Right. That, like, in other words, I was self-aware, and I would be I would be grateful to have a candidate who was self-aware enough to know that hmm, you know what, like things are kind of you know I'm having a little bit of trouble. I'm gonna I'm gonna engage on right. this stuff and like get myself mentally healthy. And some people, I mean. Mm-hmm. You and I both know that when when these SSRIs, these serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors, um, were originally designed, they weren't designed for use over years and years and years and years and years. They were designed for short term use to and then to help people then engage with the therapeutic processes that they need to engage with. And of course, now we like uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. really gets done. The, the kind of like reprogramming your brain to sure. sort of not engage in negative self-talk and the kind of stuff that sort of exacerbates depression. Um, that kind of stuff, you know, you it is the thing, the thing to do is to use uh, a, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I, I mean, I'll admit it, I, w- I used one when I was going through cancer treatment, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because it was yeah. like... I bet, it, was it hard to get off of it? No, it took me about a two months to week. Right, and see, off. that's the other thing. There's a negativity about SSRIs because, oh, yeah, when I tried to stop it, I got sicker. Well, mm-hmm. you have to have a doctor who knows how to wean you off and how Absolutely. to take it off. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and, you, you, cut the, you cut the dose, like, by a quarter, and then, you know, you do that for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and you cut the do- dose by. But let me tell you, I think that that really helped me manage the sure. anxiety of, of, you know, going through 10 months of cancer treatment, surgery and mm-hmm. yeah. all that stuff. 
Uh, well, right, you know, yeah. that I wasn't like, you know, con- in, in a constant state of freak out. Well, I'm one of those people who wants to stay on it permanently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been told, um, now, nah, you know, you should use it short term and you should wean yourself off mm-hmm. or with your, you know, with your shrink or, or your family doctor prescribes it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I feel so much better than I did mm-hmm. f- five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Why stop it? Right. And, uh, and there are long, there are studies of that you're hyper. Right. There are long term. St- yeah. St- mm-hmm. Studies that show long term use is safe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I don't know. Totally safe. Yeah. I'm going to find I'm going to find I'm going to find find a politician who's on it and get him or her to run for president oh my God. so we can demystify you know this term at least illness. at least can we all yeah. agree that there have been politicians we've seen over the last decade or so who we have said gosh he really needs something well i i, I guess what i'm going to say to that is <laughs> just a little pill uh, you know this is another aspect of what I think mystif- not mystifies, but yeah. gives a negative connotation of mental illness. Yeah, and that you know you make a judgment and say that guy's crazy. He yeah, needs to be on drugs. Yeah, right, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's a wrong-headed approach. Okay, there is mm-hmm. such a um, a spectrum of human behavior Absolutely. and human understanding. Mm-hmm. Okay, remember the myth of Sisyphus. You ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock, okay. The rock uphill. Right. And so the gods were mad at him. Yes. He did some crazy stuff that, oh, here's the word crazy. He did some stuff they yeah. didn't like. Okay. Yeah. So they forced him to roll a, a rock up a hill. And uphill. just when he gets to the top, yeah. it rolls back down again. And he spends and the rest of his. Every day had to yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. And so what did Albert Camus, he wrote a, he wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus. And at the end of it, he stuns everybody by saying, we should consider Sisyphus happy. What does happy mean? Yeah. I mean, does it mean you have a goal in life? Does it mean you have mm-hmm. something you're really good at? I mean, I know a lot of people who are curmudgeons. You know, yeah. I like that term. Yeah. You know, they walk into my office, yeah. you know, I got to take these pills. And my brother's not taking anything. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? He's a happy guy. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. He has a purpose mm-hmm. in life. He understands that he's he, his kids love him and he loves his kids and but he's a curmudgeon. Right. So what's happening? Oh. What I mean, how are I, we to, I, to I, judge? I, um, I aspire to be a curmudgeon. Well, you're not a curmudgeon. <laughs> Oh, I aspire to be a curmudgeon. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to have a curmudgeon index. And as we grow old, we're going to see who fits the curmudgeon index more, you or me. All right. Thank you, Rose. You take care. Have a great week, fellas. Bye-bye. NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org is the website. Um, We've got a woman turned away from a doctor who... The doctor literally asked her, I don't know anything about monkeypox. What do you know? What is monkeypox? Yeah. The doctor said that. You keep up, don't you? Well, yeah, but you know what? I think I actually appreciate what this doctor said. What did he say? He said, I don't know. And how how many doctors do you know who would look at a patient and say, I don't know? And we have to because the, 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 yeah, the panoply of things in medicine. None of us can know it all. Okay. And so the doctor said, I don't know what it is, but let me find you a doctor who does. Okay. 
And oh, he this did. woman, she had a bad rash all over her face, mm-hmm. and she was freaking out, thinking that she had monkeypox. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm going to say this: I would bet my new electric car. Mm-hmm. That when I looked at her, I she didn't have monkeypox. I would bet that when she finally got diagnosed, yeah. she had a different illness. Now, why would I say that? Ninety nine percent of monkeypox cases are uh, involved in the let's call it the perineum, yeah, the places where the sun don't shine, yeah, and there it in uh, the disease is in homosexuals or bisexual men. Okay, and so she's not. So she doesn't fit the demographics, right? And the rash is not a you know bunch uh, of stuff bulging out of your skin. She yeah. had a flat rash, okay. And so you know I can't diagnose her just by her on on the internet, yeah. But I can tell you, highly unlikely because it doesn't fit the demographic pattern and it doesn't look like what we see in monkeypox. Okay. But I like the fact she's all mad because the doctor said I don't know. Come on, there's all sorts of times that I look at a patient and they tell me this constellation of symptoms right. and they look at me and they say, what's wrong with me? Right. And I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. Right. And there's nothing wrong with a physician saying that. Now, a physician said, I don't know. I'll see you. Manyat. No, I'll see you in, in 10 years. No. They, they say, let me refer you to a physician right. who might know. Right. And we can't know everything. Okay. And a physician doesn't know what monkeypox is. I don't blame them, because I, you know, I think monkeypox is not something that you need to worry about, Dave. I hate to say it. Oh no, I'm, I'm not going to hate to say it. I'm you not don't worried. fit the demographic pattern. I'm At least worried. I don't think you do. In the in the activity for you know something we talked about last week, a fella has to kind of work at it in order to get monkeypox. Uh, yeah, it has to has to spend some significant time with another person. To well, get and, you know, let me give you an example. The last big monkeypox outbreak we had in this country was in Provincetown. We've talked about this on the show. Yes. So they said, "Oh, a group of men got monkeypox." Do they say who the group of men were? No. And they what didn't. they were doing? No, they didn't. And they don't. And I think that it, it, the the social awareness quotient. Yeah. Um is such that they're now going the opposite direction. Right. I mean, we have to embrace the LGBTQ um, uh, people, but when there is an illness directly associated with what they do and their behavior, yeah. we can't mention that, and I don't know why. I mean, it's it's a disease that it is is in a high, is highly um, concentrated in that demographic population, mm-hmm. and we should not hesitate to say so. Right. Okay? All right. The telephone number here, 919-860-9783. You call that number, Dr. Weefall will talk with you. 919-860-9783. Always call between noon and 2 on a Saturday. I've got a shout-out. I don't think you've seen the article a doctor donating to a patient. Yeah. Uh, and this is really neat. Awesome. That's coming up next on Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me wanna kick my heels up and Sometimes people just do great things. And this is an amazing story. The doctor is Aji Jamati. And 
he is a transplant nephrologist. So he's in the field of transplants. He ended up donating a kidney to a patient. He's a rare blood type B. Mm-hmm. And apparently what? you If your blood type is oh, B? there are, yeah, that's a hard one to get. So and, another and that's person, the key thing. Yeah. The most important thing in renal transplant, kidney transplant, yeah. is the what we call the ABO blood group. Okay. And you have to be a match. And type B blood is extremely rare. Um, and here's a, a transplant nephrologist who is putting his kidney right. where his mouth is. Right. And, and, you know, the point I'm trying to make That's is disgusting. that, you know, living donation yes. for kidneys is, is viable. Why? We have two, right? Yeah. If we had two hearts, maybe we could do that. But here's the thing that I want to tell you that yeah. surprised me yeah. in the story is that physicians aren't allowed to give things to patients. Did you know that? Uh, probably, Okay, yeah. so I had the 10th anniversary of my practice. I had a, yeah. a get-together. Yeah. And I was kind of worried because you can lose your license if you give your patient anything. So there was a Harvard surgeon, a very, very prominent Harvard surgeon. Right. And he was late at night. He had a a surgical fellow with him. And there was a medicine that this patient needed. And the insurance company was denying it. Right. But guess what? Oh, no. It only cost 20 bucks. And the patient didn't have 20 bucks. He was destitute. So after being on the phone with with the insurance company for an hour, the physician gave up. Yeah. Took out his wallet. Yep. And gave the patient 20 bucks. Right. Now, at Harvard, this is the only place I could possibly imagine this would happen, but the surgical fellow said, you are breaking the rules, and turned him into the medical board. Yeah. Because he gave the patient $20. Now, the medical boards think, well, that's bribing a patient to be your patient. So you're going to give him 20 bucks, and they'll be your patient, and Medicaid will pay you thousands. Mm. That guy lost his license. For Pete's sake. I'm not kidding. So I hope, and maybe, uh, he called the medical board, <laughs> this doctor. Yeah, can I give my can kidney? Can I give my kidney? And yeah. how much you want to bet they had a meeting of the ethics board, and they went back and forth and said, well, maybe he's bribing the patient. I don't know. Well, but I'm glad, obviously, he went through with it because he didn't lose his license. Yeah. When I had my... Uh, 10th year anniversary, yeah. uh, knowing what happened to this Harvard physician, I called the medical board. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm having this party. I'm inviting some patients who've been with me since the beginning of my practice. Right. Can I feed them? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if everybody else was eating and they're not allowed to eat? Yes. So they called me back, and apparently they had a meeting of the board. <laughs> and they decided, since food is an essential thing, <laughs> I could give them food. So these meals were, I don't know, 40 bucks a meal. And oh I was allowed to feed them 40 bucks a meal. Yeah. But you know what they told me? Hmm. You can't give them an object. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> For example, if you have pens that have your millennia cardiovascular yeah. embedded on the pen, yeah. you cannot give them that pen. <laughs> you cannot give them a T-shirt. Yes. You cannot no, no, no. give them anything no, no, no. that might have value. Even if you got it free, you can't give it to them. So I would be bribing them with a pen and not this steak dinner. Well, here's the strategy. You go ahead and buy those pens. 
with millennia cardiovascular. I can't give them out. You don't give them out. What do you do? You put them in the lobby and let people steal them. Steal them. Just like the bank. Yeah. Right? You just You just put them there. A bank can bribe you. You didn't offer them to the people. I'm old enough to remember when you opened a checking account, you got a toaster. Uh, remember that? No. I oh, don't my remember. God. Yeah. Open the checking account <laughs> and we'll give you a free toaster. So Banks used to do that. You can't do that. Come see Dr. Weefald and we'll give you a free toaster. I like that. That would be. But you can only toast. toast whole grain bread. Yeah. Because white bread is bad for you. Oh, you know this. The bread that's called Dave's bread. I've never heard a, of You've Dave's never bread. heard of Dave's bread. Dave's bread is a lot of whole wheat, dark bread whatever yeah it's yeah a, and i'm starting to like whole wheat bread i mean no, i'm sorry whole grain bread whole wheat bread is just dyed white bread is it really whole grain okay. bread with whole a little grain. specks in it my That's problem is you. this dave's bread there's an everything bread and it right and it's got all sorts of seeds and whatever my wife got it and i make it a sandwich with it and it's got garlic in it oh it's like an everything bagel Oh, I you know I used to do, to not want an everything bagel because yeah. I thought I'm a plain bagel kind of guy. Yeah, no. And then somebody served me surreptitiously. Yeah. You know, because I'd ordered we get bagels in the office, okay, mm-hmm. and we toast them up. We got a toaster in the office, yeah. and they usually do what I say, which is plain cream cheese and a mm-hmm. plain bagel. Mm-hmm. So they snuck an everything bagel in. Yeah, and, and I liked it. You liked it, yeah. Yeah. You like the you like it with the salt or no? Uh, I don't know. Just I, I eat a lot of salt. My blood pressure is normal. Well, right. I, okay. I'm on a little bit of a blood pressure medicine. All right. So you complained to me yeah. about somebody being mistreated because they paid a lot for a heart ultrasound. Yeah. Is this a, a, a an extensive kind of thing okay. or is it a quick Okay, so an ultrasound involves a machine that creates sound waves. Is it the big thing? Well, now they're really tiny. Okay. And you put it on someone's chest, and the sound waves fly into the chest, and they bounce back at different rates because of the different density of tissues. And because of that bounce back, it's called an echo, Mm -hmm. an echocardiogram, the computer can figure out Mm -hmm. what's in there uh, on basis of the the different bounce backs of frequencies right and they can create a moving image of the heart sure Sure. if i had to give up all my toys you know (laughs) my stress testing my vascular toys i would keep allowed to keep sure i would keep the echocardiogram because it tells me the most information are the valves you know leaking yeah well here you go at one hospital Uh in a city it cost 200 bucks which is pretty reasonable. Okay. Across the street, they were charging $2,000. Good heavens. And so the point I'm trying to make is, this is a stunning variation. And what patients can do is call around. Yeah. And say, how much are you charging for an ultrasound of the heart? <laughs> and, you know, the difference, I think, is most of these prices are set by insurance. So Medicare... Yeah. If I charge $10,000 for an ultrasound, they're going to pay me $198. Yeah. That's yeah. how much they pay. Okay. If you charge 200, they're going to pay $198. So, but if you don't have insurance or if you have a high deductible and they're allowed to what we call balance bill, call around. 
You get a cheaper one. This is Heart Health Radio. Another hour coming up. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio. Oh, oh, oh. HeartHealthRadio.com. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. The telephone number here is 919-860-9783. Call right now and we'll get you on the radio. So the president has COVID. Yep. They are giving him something that I cannot pronounce except there's a ritovanir in in the name. Nirma something or other. Can you pronounce that? Let me see. It's over there. Uh, Pixabat. No, no, okay. Wait, let's talk about a, what he's taking. Is this a, yeah. Um, it's Nermatrelvir slash Ritonavir. Okay. And I don't think that, that's not Paxilvid. Um, I guess it's a anti, whenever you see a drug that says VIR at the end, yeah. that's a viral, antiviral. Okay. Uh, we'll have to look it up and, and find they, out. They paused oh, two yeah. of his other okay. medicines. So a Pixaban and Rosuvastatin. So right. he's on... A Pixaban, which is Eliquis, because he has AFib. Right. Yeah. And Rosuvus, that because he has high cholesterol. Yes. So there's an interaction. I guess it makes the levels of the medicines go higher. So this is what you do. You pause them. Mm-hmm. And hope you didn't have a stroke. And I pause. Sure. I pause Derelto in a lady with chronic AFib yeah. for six days so she could have a colonoscopy. Yes. And she had a major stroke. Oh, my. So th- there's some risks. I mean, some people need these medications 24-7 right. in order to prevent clots from forming because they're, you know, clotaholics. Right. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you just got to play the percentages and, and you know, use a risk-benefit analysis. Right. Now, that you go without that for weeks. Sure. You know, so I have no problem with that. But there are times when I do what's called bridging. So suppose, for example, you have a heart valve, mm-hmm. a mechanical heart valve, you're on warfarin and you got to have a colonoscopy. Mm. I try to keep them anticoagulated for or unanticoagulated for only 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So there's a medicine called Lovenox, which is an injectable uh, anticoagulant, but it only yes. sticks in your body for 12 hours. Yes. So what you do is you stop their warfarin, let it come down, maybe just a, a day or so. And then give them Lovenox twice a day. And then the day before the surgery, you only give them once in the morning. Yes. So they don't get in the evening. By the next day, they are not anticoagulated. You do their procedure. Right. And then after the procedure, you wait 12 to 24 hours and re-anticoagulate them. Right. And it works. Now, if there, I have a patient who has factor five Leiden deficiency, which is an absence of a protein that helps mm-hmm. prevent clot. Mm-hmm. They had two pulmonary emboli where they had clots in the legs, DVTs, deep venous thromboses, and went mm-hmm. up to their lungs. Mm. A doctor took him off his eloquus for four days, had a colonoscopy the next day, had a clot in their leg and yeah. another pulmonary embolus. So from then on in, 
whenever he needs to have a procedure where you can't be anticoagulated, right. I bridge him. I use Levinox when he's off of it yeah. and immediately get him back on it. And he hasn't had another blood clot since uh, during those procedures that right. we have to stop. Right. I'll tell you what, I was on Blavix for a while and I know why they call them blood thinners. Yeah. And anybody who's been on it probably has had this similar experience. You get a little tiny cut, and it just flows uh, out of it. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about that. You nick yourself with a razor. Yeah. And th- well, the face is hard. Okay, sure. so what do you do when you have, uh, you're on Eliquis and you nick your face? Yeah. There is a really nice product out there. It's called Quick Clot. Q-U-I-K-C-L-O-T. Yes. What does that mean? It's coat. It's a gauze that is coated with a um, mineral. Yeah. Um, and that mineral, calocrine, is found in the clay of Georgia. Yeah. Okay. And what they do is they purify it, and they they found a, a way to... Um, make it attached to the cloth, Mm -hmm. uh, the gauze. So what you do is if you knit yourself, you would take the quick clot and hold it on the thing Mm -hmm. for an hour. Yeah, I know. If you cut your arm, it's pretty easy. You put the quick clot on and then you wrap uh, Coban. Sure. Get some Coban, C-O-B-A-N. It's this really neat, we call it horse tape. It's what they tape onto the horse's legs. Uh Uh-huh. And then you can put the quick lot on there and then wrap it with Coban, not too tight, and then leave it on for a couple hours. Right. And it'll stop the bleeding then. Um, the concept, oh, the other thing is put an ice pack on it. Right. Oh, really? Yeah, because coldness promotes clotting. Okay, so, you know, it, I'm not on it, but uh-huh. if I were, yeah. uh, and I cut myself, I would get the quick clot that you can buy at Walmart. Or you can order on Amazon. You don't need to be a doctor or this is not a prescription. Right. And you put the quick clot on and you start holding pressure. You wrap it with the horse tape slash Coban. And, excuse me, you put an ice pack on it. Yes. And then a couple hours later, you take it off and you're not bleeding. My father-in-law had a an emergency. He really cut himself good shaving. And he was on Plavix. And he went all around. It was like a Sunday afternoon. Couldn't find anything open. They eventually found a veterinarian who was open. And what they used was essentially super glue. Yeah. They glued it closed. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. 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 But the key thing is pressure. Yeah. uh, And uh, length of time that you hold it. Uh And then put an ice pack on it. Heartache is real. That is... When you are suffering from loss, yeah, it affects the body in, in a, a in way a that very can take your life. Way. So they just did a study where they looked at people who had heart failure. Now, heart failure means your heart can't pump right. enough or efficiently right. to keep the blood flowing. Right. And fluid builds up. Your kidneys don't get enough blood. Mm-hmm. So they think you're dehydrated and they hold on to sodium to try to re-expand your blood volume, but it works in the opposite way that it should. And so you get full of fluid and you can't breathe and your legs swell. Well, what they found out is that those people who are compensated for their heart failure, that means they're on the appropriate medications and they're not filled up with fluid. If they have, for example, the death of a spouse, 
that is uh, the second most uh, stressful mm-hmm. um, situation. Uh, the most is obviously a death of a child. 38% of those people with compensated heart failure will become decompensated. And when you are uh, in bereavement, the level of stress hormone, adrenaline, and mm-hmm. the stress hormone cortisol rise mm-hmm. tremendously. And mm-hmm. when you have adrenaline levels high, they can cause plaque rupture, a rupture of those cholesterol buildups that form clots. You can mm-hmm. have heart attacks. But also, it makes the heart not pump well. And it also makes the medicines that are compensating for the heart failure not work as well. Right. So if you have a loved one who has heart failure right. and there is a stressful event, a bereavement, a death, or other stressful things, right. they need to be watched very carefully, uh, make sure their physicians are contacted. Right. If there's any sign that their heart failure is getting worse because it can gallop into a really bad situation requiring hospitalization and perhaps even death. So we know that a broken heart can kill you. Wow. And and just be very careful if your loved one has a heart condition right. and are going through a stressful bereavement because right. 38% of those people with compensated heart failure became uncompensated, and that's a very high number. All right, so let's talk about heart failure. Yeah. Because... We think of heart attacks, and we know what that is. Right. It's, a you know, the pain, the pressure on your chest, and you're, you need to go to the doctor right, sure. right away. What is heart failure? So there's two types. One is called HEFPEF, <laughs> and the other is called HERFPEF. Now, what does that mean? Heart failure what with reduced you? ejection fraction. Jim Henson named Heart them. failure, H-F-R-E-F. Yeah. Her, her F and yeah. then HEFPEF is heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. All now, right. that doesn't make much sense to no, a lot of people. Yet. Not yet. Reduced ejection fraction means your heart is flabby and doesn't pump well. Mm-hmm. The number one cause of reduced ejection, heart, ejection fraction heart failure is a heart attack. So, a heart attack is not heart failure. You can have a heart attack and never have your heart fail. Mm-hmm. So they get to it in time, they open up the clot blockage, mm-hmm. and they re- restore the appropriate blood blood flow, and the heart comes back. Yeah. Hey, I'm happy again. And you're, you have had a reduced uh, blood flow, and your heart is still pumping great. Yeah. So you can get a virus like COVID. Yeah. You can get other viruses like Coxsackie virus, and in certain in people, it will cause the heart to become flabby. When that happens... The heart can't pump enough blood with each heartbeat. So the kidneys think, oh, wait a minute, I'm not getting enough blood. The kidneys are extremely complicated. Right. And they're wonderful organs, but they're not smart organs. And so whenever it gets reduced blood flow, it causes your body to hold on to sodium. And when that happens, sodium causes water to be retained. Right. And then your legs fill up with fluid and your lungs fill up with fluid. That's heart failure. Now, you can have heart failure with a normally pumping uh, heart. In other words, it's not flabby. It's yeah. thick, and it doesn't relax. So there's two functions to the heart. Systole, when it pumps. Diastole, when it relaxes. And there's a lot of people whose hearts are stiff um, from high blood pressure, causing the heart to get stiff and, and scarred. Uh, there are other conditions, amyloidosis, where you fill up with these proteins. Because your heart is stiff, the pressure builds up and it goes backwards into the lungs and you can get 
uh, fluid in the lungs from a heart failing, even though it pumps strong, it doesn't relax as well. So that's the difference between a heart attack. A heart attack is when the clots form in the cholesterol buildups. You don't get enough blood flow. You have Mm -hmm. tightness in the chest. A heart failure situation can be one of two things. When your heart pumps weakly or your heart pumps okay but doesn't relax well enough. And my symptoms, the things I have to worry about or watch for, are swelling in the legs. And initially, and shortness of breath. So you can't walk across the room without being short of breath because your lungs have fluid, extra okay. fluid in them. They don't let enough oxygen get through because the fluid is thick and doesn't let the oxygen through. So heart failure, shortness of breath, Yep. initially when you walk. And then when it's really bad, you can't lay flat because you can't breathe. And then you get what's called stage four, uh, when you really, really can't breathe, then you need to go to the hospital and get oxygen and, and get emergency fluid removal right. uh, to get the excess fluid out. All right. Sounds yeah. is it, that's very that's very important. That's the difference I between need to, a heart attack and heart failure. And and me, a heavy guy with diabetes and all these other risk factors, I gotta watch for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna talk about Rosuvastatin and kidneys, and um, the FBI questioned the National Institutes of Health about the Wuhan lab. They did it years ago. They asked them about this years ago. That's coming up on Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefold. You're listening to the Heart Health Radio Network. Telephone number is 919-860-9783. We'll stop everything we're doing if you call. 919-860-9783. The FBI questioned the National Institutes of Health. They actually asked him uh, about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, Do you think that we paid for this? That we paid Absolutely. for the Wuhan. Yes? Yeah. Um, it's my opinion yeah. that the money we gave to the Wuhan lab right. directly went into the studies right. that were done. And I I don't think they, I mean, I don't know. There, there were uh, Chinese uh, army people in that lab. Yeah. And we have, as the United States, the United States of America, investigated uh, germ warfare. I mean, we did. Yeah. Now, supposedly we cut that all down. Fort Detrick, near where I used to live, they did germ germ warfare experiments. Mainly, right. Right. Um, what's that thing called? Anthrax. They were trying to right. weaponize anthrax. Right. Anyway, I think that there were honest people in the Wuhan lab who were saying, let's take these bat viruses mm-hmm. and see if we can change them to infect humans, and because I, we think that perhaps could happen naturally, mm-hmm. and they were able to do so. And then I think there was a uh, human error, and it got out of the lab in October of 2019. They had to close the lab down. They had a, an emergency. Of course, they don't talk about this, but yeah. we know it happened. Right. And then there was a big cover-up, yeah. and why would they cover it up? 
I mean, if it if if there was a natural phenomenon of a virus breaking out, don't you think that the public health people would be shouting at the top of their lungs? There's a new virus that came out of nature. We all got to be, you know, really careful. Yeah. And what did they say at first? No human to human transmission. We've got this under control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a cover up. And so, you know, you, you do things like in a court, it's called circumstantial evidence. Yeah. And, you know, you can say the, the, the accumulation of all this circumstantial evidence shows that it came out of the lab by a mistake. Right. I would hate to think that it was a, you know, a release by, say, the military to see what would happen. Right. But, you know, is that possible? I suppose it is. Well, but you know. we have got to just admit you right. know, we gave them the money to do this. And I have no clue why they picked the Wuhan lab to do these types of experiments when, right. you know, perhaps if they really wanted to do these experiments, if Fauci, had, and this came from his um, institute, right. uh, the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which he has headed for, you know, decade. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just use the United States place? I mean, there's a guy up the street. Mm-hmm. in UNC who does this stuff with coronavirus. He's one of the world's experts at coronavirus. Right. And I think his name is Basic or Balik or something like that. I could look it up, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Good um, for you. Good for you. You know, uh, makes no sense. Okay. I don't understand. Well, we can just be be comforted knowing that the responsible parties will be brought to bear. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. All right, so there's something called endometriosis. Yeah. And there's a stroke risk. I don't know what either have to do with each other. And this is, I think, something that we need to get out. Um, Endometriosis is a terrible thing. Right. What is it? It's when the lining of the uterus is called the endometrium. Yeah. We don't quite know exactly what happens, but it escapes the uterus and lines the abdominal wall of Mm -hmm. women. Mm. And it's extremely painful. Um, it causes all sorts of health problems. Uh, ab, you know, during the month, uh, a woman can have severe abdominal pain. And treating this is also very difficult. They've tried to, you know, go in with lasers and zap the accumulated endometrial uh, implants, they call them. It right. doesn't always work. Well, now they find out that women who have severe endometriosis are at higher risk for stroke. Yeah. And we think it's because, again, of the stress hormones that are released with chronic pain. We know that people with chronic pain are at higher risk for heart attack and stroke. And again, the final common mechanism is increased stress hormones, but also the stress hormones increase the risk for inflammation. Yes. And we know that the higher the amount of inflammation you have, the higher your stroke risk is. So this is another reason that if you have endometriosis to go and find mm-hmm. the best doctors you can right. to try to alleviate the symptoms and the um, the progression mm-hmm. of the disease. And I don't think people need to be panicked about it, but it's just an example of an illness which we think is confined to mm-hmm. an obstetrical GYN problem right. that over time can put some people at risk a cardiovascular problem right and and it's just it's a terrible thing when somebody suffers from this because it is a, a severe problem 
And um, I'm hoping that they find ways in the future, and I know that there's research going on, to try to alleviate this illness and, and hopefully cure it. Right. Medicare gave you another haircut, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they gave me another haircut. Um, here's the thing, okay? And I'm going to ask you, Dave. Sure. Bypass surgery. Okay. Yeah, How it. much do you think a cardiac surgeon gets? I'm not talking about the hospital now. The physician's fee for your bypass. That's a complicated procedure. Right. And for four hours. Four they hours. They stop your heart. Yeah. They, the sutures are teeny, weeny, tiny things. Yeah, I would assume so. They have to wear so, these yeah. magnifying glasses, and they have to have really steady hands. Yeah. And they have to get the sutures just right. Yeah, but, but to, here's the thing. All I need to know about the procedure is it's that tough. if they goof it up, I'm dead. You are. And also, well, see, there you they go. went through four years of medical, four years sure. of college, yeah. four years of med school, five years of surgery, and yeah. sometimes four years, yeah. two to four years of cardiac surgery learning how to do this. At least $300. Oh, come on. Now. Okay. they should, uh, th- uh, $10,000. $1,700. Okay. That's it. That's not very much. In when I first started this game, yeah. in nineteen ninety one dollars, uh-huh. they got three thousand dollars. Three thousand. They made more years ago. But think about it. With inflation, right? It's, it's probably less. would be worth seven thousand. Okay. And they're making fourteen seventeen hundred. When I started this game, yeah. I got $1,000 for a pacemaker. Now, that's pretty reasonable. It takes sure. someone about an hour and a half usually. Yeah. Uh, what's the risk and the training involved? Sure. You had to you know, op- get into a vein, thread this thing into the heart, know how it looks under x-ray, sure. know you're putting it in the right place. Yeah. You get 400 bucks now. If it had kept pace with inflation, it'd probably be about 2,500 bucks, 2,400 bucks. Right. So don't think that your doctor is you know living large um yeah we make a good a good income right and yeah we we enjoy for the most part what we do but the physician's fees are only 10 percent of the money that goes into healthcare. so really? all these doctors get 10 percent the hospitals and the pharmaceuticals get the rest yeah and a large amount goes to the administrator. Right. So I'm not going to name the company because I, I, I depend <laughs> upon them for my income. Yeah. But there is one guy in North Carolina. Yeah. He made $15 million as the president of this healthcare, yeah. I mean, sure. this insurance yeah, yeah, yeah. organization. So $15 million bucks. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. The, the maximum, the, the highest paid physician in the United States of America, how much do you think he makes? I don't know. About $3 million. Uh, about three million. I want you guys to be rich, honestly. Yeah, I but what's want rich you guys... nowadays? All right, well, no, no, but maybe what we'll is talk rich? about. We got we yeah. got a break for news. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Doctor Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. And I want to work out, but I don't want to work out for a long time because I think it's useless. Yeah. Is there is there any any like 
scientific yeah. studies backing yeah. me up on now this. Now there is a new test. Yes. I mean, a new study. Yes. That shows if you work out for 10 minutes. Yeah. 10. Count ten. them. 10. 10. You have just as much benefit as somebody who worked out for an hour and a half. And it's a very interesting study. I mean, yeah. What they looked at was your cardiovascular health. Um, your heart rate, your right. ability to consume and use oxygen while you exercise. Right. And they studied people who worked out for an hour and a half a day pumping iron. Now, they had better sculpted muscles. Sure. I mean, you've seen these people. They look fabulous. Sure, yeah. You know, the six-packs and stuff like that. Yeah. But in terms of improving your health to prevent, you know, health-related uh, issues to exercise like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and yeah. weight loss, 10 minutes a day of okay. good, firm, you know, exercise. And I'm not talking about... You know, pumping iron and doing, you know, 500-pound um, chest presses and stuff like that. I'm talking right. about walking briskly, you know, doing some, you know, muscle toning. Ten minutes a day. Okay. Ten minutes a day. That's a great thing. So, you know, um, all you people out there like me who used to work out and now just do, you know, walking. I want my dog. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. My dog. For 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Let me tell you, they pull me along. Yes. And I'm doing good. Well, that's great. I, are there any studies that show that five minutes would be enough? I didn't see it. I mean, you know, if we I was get hoping this thirty down, seconds. You know, here you go. I'm moving my thumb <laughs> up and down. Just, just eliminate a lot of the, you know, worry about this. All right, doctors versus Twitter. There are two doctors who were kicked off Twitter in the middle of the COVID thing. Yeah. Because they said what? They said they were spreading misinformation yeah and you know so much of what was cut off from twitter as misinformation right turned out to be true okay so people were challenging whether vaccines were going to prevent people from getting covid early on and they got kicked out of twitter uh people were saying um that perhaps masks didn't work perhaps they got kicked out of twitter for spreading misinformation and now we know that they were actually correct and so what they're doing now is saying okay twitter not only did you make me upset because you kicked me out right but you slandered me you made people think yes that i was spreading misinformation and hurt my reputation as a physician scientist Mm -hmm. i hope they win a ton of money when somebody, because we got to yeah. stop this. When, because there is misinformation, yes. Um, you know, uh, the greatest in- misinformation was yeah. that the vaccines made you magnetic. Remember that? I, re- I remember that, yes. And the greatest thing was this woman who claimed the key would stick to her neck. <laughs> and she's there testifying for Congress, puts the key to her neck, see, and it falls off. Falls off. <laughs> so, yes, there's misinformation. Um, and I think one of the hardest things to decide is what is misinformation and what isn't. Right. But a lot of it's political. Okay. So they yeah. think you're a Republican. They're going to accuse you of misinformation and they are going to kick you off. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, we need to be very careful and we need to have an open mind uh, about these things. But I think the number one thing that people should do, you know what that is? Hmm. Stay off of Twitter. 
yeah. all it does is make you mad. Yeah. You know, and talk about, you know, ruining your health. Oh, I'm so mad at what that person said on Twitter. Here's the answer. Stay off of Twitter. I quit Twitter. I got in trouble on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with Twitter is in order to get followers, sure. in order to get likes on your tweets, and uh, most importantly, retweets, because yeah. they, they make it a contest. I have 3,265,000 followers. Yeah. And the way you get that is by tweeting outrageous, crazy stuff. Right. And making it, you know, you know, using foul language and, you know, making uh, statements that people go, whoa, that's crazy. That's how you get retweets. And so I did some of that. And, you know, it just was terrible because I wanted to have followers. I wanted to be liked. Uh-huh. I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook much anymore. Right. Um, every now and then, you know, I get a... A big thing. My daughter graduated from high school, did very well. Right. I, I Facebooked that. Right. Um, now, I generally, I hate to say it, I look at TikTok because it's funny. Yeah. Now, I don't contribute to TikTok. And there are some crazy, you know, left-wingers or, and crazy right-wingers on right. TikTok. Right. But the nice thing about TikTok, if you skip over those mm-hmm. enough, you don't get them anymore. So what they know now about me is how much I love dogs. <laughs> so 90% of what I get now yeah. are doggy Good for you. things. And they're funny. Yeah. You know, these dogs walking on their hind legs. I saw a TikTok of a dog get on a scooter, <laughs> standing up on the scooter and driving around. And this is not fake. It no, was yeah, yeah. real. Yeah. Funny as all get out. And then there are the cute dog ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where they're loving other dogs or loving <laughs> chicks and ducks and stuff like that there. So, this is what you get on your phone. But what I I, I know that yeah. they are sending this to the Chinese communist government. See, the Chinese communist government owns Twitter. I mean, um, TikTok. Uh, TikTok. Yeah. So, you know, okay, now you know I love dogs. Right. So what are you going to do about it? I, uh, I don't think that yeah. kind of information interests them yeah. at all. Here is Bill in Raleigh. Thank you, Bill, for calling. What's going on today? Yeah, um, I had a question for the doctor. Yeah, um, go ahead. The past week and all this uh, heavy heat we've been having, I uh, I went out and rode my bike, mm. and it was 97 degrees. Ooh. And uh, I didn't experience any problems thereafter. However... Um, I try to work out twice a week swimming a half mile and twice a week cycling for about, uh, 50 minutes. That's great. And, wow. and well, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think it is. Um, and I, you know, I try to do some uh, weightlifting too once a week just sure. because that's what's the customary yeah, keep, uh, keep your muscles toned. You don't, you don't, flabby muscles are not good. So you're doing right. good. Right now, the, the, uh, uh, after I cycled, I didn't experience any problems. However, the next day I went and swam, and when I was swimming, this uh, this was unusual for me. It, it was like when I was doing the freestyle um, down the pool, I I couldn't I couldn't seem to get enough. I didn't have any problems inhaling, but it just seemed like. What I was inhaling wasn't giving me the energy, and it was like I felt like I was, you know, going to cut out because 
I, I just couldn't get enough air. So I went to um, back, back, backstroke, and, uh, you know, of course, mm. you're above water and, and easily breathing. Mm-hmm. And it didn't bother me as much, okay. you know, but, but um, I feel like it's coming back. Now, what I'd like to ask the doctor is this. He's been in surgery before for heart patients. I had a valve replaced okay. for six years in October. And the day after my surgery, I'm laying in the bed. I'm all hooked up. I got oxygen coming in. And I wake up. This is in the morning. I wake up, and I'm surrounded by... Um, interns. That's the worst was, feeling in the world, isn't it? All these yeah. people staring at you. Well, no, that didn't bother me at all <laughs> because yeah, I'm I'm in a state of in, incapacitated. I'm yeah. I'm unable to do anything or say anything or whatever. And yeah. I, I wake up and I, all these interns or, or, or uh, people going through their training are s- surrounding me. And there's one doctor on on the left side of the bed, and all these these uh, trainees are on the right-hand side. And uh, I'm, I'm like, I can't breathe. And it's like another doctor comes into the room, and he starts arguing with the other doctor mm. that's in the room, initially mm. in the room. And it's like, what are these guys doing, guys or girls? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? I'm, I'm suffocating. I'm, I'm not able to breathe. Now, that's the experience I've been having recently. Okay. I'm having like a stress uh, experience of being unable. I, get, I go into like, and I don't want to exaggerate this. It's like, what's happening? Why am I able to breathe, but my lungs aren't efficiently utilizing the air that I'm inhaling? Okay. Okay, so um, you have an aortic valve or a mitral valve? Do you remember? Mitral valve. Yeah, okay. And when was the last time you had it checked out, like an ultrasound? Well, I had a TEE um, in January. Okay, what was the reason why they did the TEE? Was there a problem with the valve? Well, in October, I had a stroke, and it was a thrombosis, and they they claim that, you know, after you have a valve replacement, you're susceptible to... um, uh, clotting clot. and infection, yeah. Yes, sir. Would they find out anything? You know, I never got any results. Now, August second, I visit my primary uh, or my uh, cardiologist, uh-huh. cardiologist, uh-huh. and I get an, another um, external echo. Right. So I'm wait, You know, I'm kind of waiting to see how that. They didn't you know, tell you right away. No. Oh my gosh. Well, let me just say this. The thing that, as a cardiologist, I would be worried about and what you are saying is that maybe the valve isn't functioning as well as it should. Now, the mitral valve is a is a tougher valve than the aortic valve in terms of longevity. Um, how long ago did you have it done? Um, this October, it'll be six years. Okay. And did they put a piggy-wiggy in or a mechanical in? They put a a, um, a cow valve in. Yeah, so that's a bovine yeah. pericardial prosthesis. And what that is yep. is a, a bunch of struts of, met, of metal, titanium, and then they take this treated tissue that comes from the sac around a cow heart. They treat it, it becomes very tough, and then they drape it and attach it to these struts, and then they put it in your, your heart to take mm-hmm. the place of the other one. 
Now, the reason why a mitral valve is exposed to a higher stress is because it has to absorb and close against 120 millimeters of mercury pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Because the heart's going to pump and your blood pressure on top is 120. So that valve has to close and withstand 120 millimeters of mercury. Mm -hmm. Now, the aortic valve opens with 120 and then it shuts with 70. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's 50 difference between what the mitral valve has to withstand. So yeah. that heart pumps, that valve closes, and it's got to stay closed against 120 and then open. The aortic valve opens up, yeah, it's flowing, and then it stays closed against 70 millimeters yeah. of mercury. So the mitral valve tends to not last as long in some people as the aortic valve. Now, what could be happening? is that that valve is leaking a little bit. Now, what does that mean? It's not leaking outside your body. It is now letting some blood flow back instead of closing all the way. Now, I'm not diagnosing you, but I'm just saying if I heard the story from one of my patients, I'd want the results of that ultrasound ASAP. Now, I do things differently than other doctors, okay? If somebody has a test Mm -hmm. in my office, Mm You know what I do? They get the result right then and there. Yeah. They go into a room after they've had the test, and I sit down, and I tell them what's going on. And for a lot of people, I actually show them what the ultrasound looks like. So my advice to you today is call up on Monday and get this result. Yep. Because if the valve's not leaking, then you have to look at your lungs. And those are the two issues. Is this the heart or is this the lungs? Now, you don't sound like you've ever smoked. Did you ever smoke? No. Good. Did you ever work in a tobacco farm or in a factory where there was dust? Mm. Uh, not to my recollection. Yeah. So your lungs sound like they should be pretty good, and you didn't have any lung problems when you were exercising before and not feeling bad. So my advice to you is to get the result of that ultrasound as soon as you can. And then get an appointment with your cardiologist and go over all this stuff with him or her. And well, August second, August second, I, I I'm supposed to go in for another, ex, you know, an external okay. echo, and that's the reason why I, you know, doctor, I'm I'm probably not a very compliant patient because I hate to say anything because. I'm fearful that it's going to be negative and it's going to make me feel bad. So, okay, well, let, let me tell you about how like- you yeah how you look at that issue, okay? Because let me tell you, I had just the other day mm-hmm. um, a similar situation. And, you know, patient had been coughing up blood and patient called me. I said, get in here now. And they came in the next day mm-hmm. and I listened to them. They look good. And I said, let's get the CT scan tomorrow. Yeah. And then I had the results on Friday, and they came in, and then they left. They wouldn't wait 15 minutes for me to get in the room. Mm. Now, I knew what that was. Mm. That was the ostrich syndrome, putting your head on the ground mm. and saying, well, it's probably okay. That's uh, me. And the, the way to look at these situations, okay, so I have a patient who says, I'm having chest discomfort, I do the stress test, and they need to have something fixed on their heart and they get all upset and i I, the way i look at it is of course you're gonna not want this 
But the way I look at it is, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. We caught this and we caught it in time. And we're going to fix your heart and you're going to go back to being good. Yeah. If you hadn't addressed this right. now right. and we hadn't found out what we need to do, you could have been, you know, minding your own business and then, you know, face plant on mm-hmm. the concrete because your heart failed mm-hmm. or your heart went bad. So the way I would look at it for you is I want to exercise well. I want to live my life. I'm not doing as well as I should. Right. I want to find out as soon as possible so that I can get it fixed as soon as possible yeah. and then go back to my business. And that's a, a change in attitude that you have to have. Mm-hmm. You've had a serious heart thing that was corrected. Put your life back in order. Now you're not doing so well. It may be something simple like changing your medication to make you know everything work better. So my advice to you is to find out as soon as possible what that ultrasound showed so you can get it fixed as soon as possible right. and get back to your normal life. Right. Can I also ask you that... You uh, can ask me anything you want. Okay. I'm on Warfarin, and they want me between two and three, and, and I, I'm having difficulty staying. Now, it's like the le- I just had a, a, a test on uh, Thursday, and it was... Uh, Three point four, okay. which you know that's not serious, but they 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 do make an adjustment yeah. that uh, you know it's down to one point uh, two five on Fridays. Oh Lord. I'm on I'm on avastatin, uh, uh, ultra ultravastatin, uh, forty milligrams, and I'm on aspirin, eighty one <laughs> milligrams, and also twice a day I take carvedilol, okay. you know, um, and um, I asked the, the, the PA the last time I was see, to see the PA uh, if I could lower the statin down to twenty, and, and she said yes. Okay. Um, but I, I um, you know, because of this little occurrence, and, and I, you know, <coughs> little, this occurrence, I, I don't want to adjust yeah. anything. You well, know, let much. me ask you a question about the warfarin. How often do you get it checked? Uh. That depends on where where it uh, is. Does it uh, vary a lot? I mean, do you find that you're constantly chasing your tail and changing your dose? You know, the last couple times, let me give you an example. It was 1.9 one time, and they changed it to mm. uh, one and a half tablets one time. Mm. Um, I was, you know, then, then she wanted me in for a weekly check. Now it's down to two weeks. Be in the check sure. for uh, you know maybe fifteen days, yeah. sixteen days, something like that. It's it's uh, it's staying relatively close to the two and the three. Yeah, but it's not it's not exactly you do, know. Do you know what I, I found? You know what I found? What naturally it's going to bounce around a little bit, and so. Um, you know, I got somebody and they come in and it's three point four, and it had been really good before then. You know what I do? Mm-hmm. I say, don't touch it. Don't change it. Come back in four days and check it again. And you know what it is? It's back to 2.4. Have they ever talked to you about getting a home check for your pro time? No. Yeah. So there is a device. Uh, there's a couple of them, but the one I use is M-D-I-N-R. It's a company. And they come into your house and they show you how to do it. It's just like a diabetic checking their sugar. Yeah. You prick your finger. You let the blood flow onto this little strip. 
and you plug it into your machine. And what I have found is that it's going to go 2.5 one week, 3.4 the next week, 1.9 the next week, 2.4 on this same dose. And we expect it to go up and down a little bit. It's what the average is. And you don't want 1.4, 1.4, two weeks in a row. Then you need to change it. But talk to him about getting this thing. You sound like a very intelligent, gung-ho type of guy. And this may help you because you may be 3.4 one day and say, you know what? Let me check it in two days. And it's 2.8 without any adjustment in your dose. And what I found is people are going up and down and up and down. And you know the number one reason for that? Hmm. Is they're getting their dose adjusted too too much, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there's a natural variation in anything we do. Somebody I, called me the other day. My blood pressure was 160, and this morning it was 130. Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Okay, let me ask you a question. Did you yell at your husband at, uh, an hour before you did this? Yeah. I yelled at my husband 10 minutes before I checked it. Our yeah. bodies don't stay the same. They vary. And one of the problems I found with warfarin is it's adjusted too much. And you go too low, all of a sudden you're too high, all of a sudden you're too low again, and they're changing it too frequently. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going on with you, but you might ask your doctor, and you might say, hey, can I get that home thing? And I can check it and and see how it varies. Bill, thank you very much. I hope that was helpful, brother. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Dr. Weefall, who you shout now? I'm going to shout out Steve Collier again. Yeah? So Stevie had really bad lungs, smoked for a very long time, Mm -hmm. was in the hospital had to quit smoking because he was there for three weeks. Mm. Hasn't smoked since. His lungs are getting better. Good. I'm shouting him out because he convinced me to stop smoking. Yeah. And by the way, folks, it's four weeks, uh, and I did it for him. That's great. And that's why you can quit, not just for you, but quit for someone you love. Very now, we got some fun facts to close up with. I'm yeah. going to quiz you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How big is your heart? On average, well, what do you think? I have a, I have a large heart. I, I have a big heart. Yeah. My mom said that it's the size of your fist. Oh, okay. It doesn't seem that big. Yeah, it's the size of your fist. All right. Yeah. How many times a day does your heart beat, on average? Oh wow, I don't know. One hundred fifteen thousand. One hundred fifteen thousand times. How many gallons does your heart pump a day? All of them. Two no, I don't thousand gallons. Two thousand gallons. All right. Now what? Mammal has the largest heart. You should be able to figure this out. What mammal has the largest what heart? What mammal has the largest heart? I'm going to assume it's a whale. You got it. Yeah. You got it. How big is a whale's heart? Yep. Now, what's the thickest heart in a mammal? Think about it. The thickest heart, the strongest <laughs> the th- heart. What mammal has the strongest, thickest heart? I don't know. A giraffe. A, a giraffe. Yeah, because it's got to have a greater force sure. to get that blood up the neck. Right, right. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, Giraffes what day of magical. the year okay. has the most heart attacks? What day of the what year? day of the year has most heart attacks? Yeah, it's Christmas Day. Really? Now, I can't even be, I didn't think Christmas was so stressful. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, I, with I mean, that, 
With that, yeah. Merry Christmas. Everybody stay cool. Please stay hydrated today. It's going to be 97. Stay out of the bright sunshine. Enjoy your weekend, though. We're back here next week. This is Heart Health Radio.